you get your New Testament, please, and turn to uh, the book of Luke, the 12th chapter, beginning with the 42nd verse. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household? give them their portion of meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But if that servant says in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink and to be drunken. The Lord of that house, of, of that servant, shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. The, it has been argued from this passage by the people who believe, and this is directed to people who believe, and you'd be surprised how many people in the world believe that once they are saved, and once they are a Christian, that they'll always be saved, and that they'll always be under God's grace. And that just isn't taught in the New Testament. It's taught by nearly all denominational people who are teaching to get numbers, and they are really teaching that once you have been saved is the direct working of God on the heart and the life of the individual. And even though he may do things that doesn't please God, he'll never be lost. And that is the reason we need to address this. It has been argued that in 45th and the 46th verse, this person in order to get around this, they say that this was never a true disciple, but only a hypocrite from the beginning. Can you believe that people will say that when you study the scriptures, but that's the way that they answer this? And the Lord's sudden appearance simply brings to an end his false pretension of his discipleship. Such an argument rests on, on really on false assumptions. First assumption is that it must be assumed that two different stewards are in view in this parable. There would have to be. One of whom proves faithful, and the other of whom proves unfaithful. But Jesus did not speak of two stewards. Rather, he spoke of, of only of that servant. And... Uh, a whole doulos is, in the Greek, is, is referring to that servant, and the demonstrative uh, pronoun uh, 
That is emphatic. And language forbids the assumption that there's more than one servant there. He just points him out. He's very emphatic. Now, the second assumption is on which the argument of original uh, hypocrisy in this person, and he was never must rest on the assumption that the Lord was unaware of the true character of his of his steward at the time of his appointing. See, being deceived by his hypocrisy. Now, this might happen in the affairs of uh, of ordinary men, but uh, it cannot happen to our Lord. Our Lord, in this parable, in, in the way he views it here, while it is true that uh, many pretend to be servants of Christ who do not, do not know and follow him as our Savior and as our Lord, it is equally true that Christ himself cannot personally in, in, in uh, trust responsibilities to to the service to men who are not his. It, they're his. He, he gave them that, and they were, they're his servants. So it really doesn't make sense, but that's the way that's approach that people take. And it is ever true. You know, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, uh, Paul said that the Lord knoweth them that are his. So it is obvious that Jesus' parable has no application to men who do not know him. So after all, we need to understand uh, that uh, when he's telling a parable about people who know him as Savior and as Lord, and, uh, and they have followed him and served him, and then his parable says, here is a person uh, who fails to serve me, and this is what's going to happen to him. Now, this is an important lesson, and it's an important lesson to all of us, and it's really one that's directed to all of us. It's not just exposing a false teaching. It's exposing the idea that we may labor under uh, this kind of teaching, and we may, too, take for granted we need to be responsible people. Now, I want you to look at those few verses. The question, I want you to look at verse 42. Who is the faithful and wise servant, the steward, whom his Lord will reward at his coming? That's the question. I want you to look at that. Now, I want you to look at the answer in, in, verse, 40, in verse 43. That servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing as instructed. See? Now look at verse 44. The 40, verse 44 is the reward. He will make him ruler over all that he hath. Now look at verse 45. This is the peril. This is the sad condition. That servant, it, it, this word, it refers to that servant that was faithful and was given responsibilities 
and it's still the same servant, that servant may grow careless. Look at verse 45. But if that servant, the one that was faithful, one that was given responsibility, if that servant says in his heart, same servant, he may grow careless and become unfaithful during the Lord's long absence. And brethren, that's our challenge. That's our challenge, every one of us. Now look at the penalty. Look at the penalty. And we don't like to think about this, but this is here. It's very obvious. It's a thing that we need to think about. The Lord will come unexpectedly, unexpectedly, and cut him asunder and upon him his portion with the unbelievers or the unfaithful. Now, when we think of this, it, it seems like it takes all the joy out of, of maybe Christianity. Well, why, why do we want to get by with unfaithfulness? Why do we not want to look and see that, uh, that it, it, it is important to be responsible? Now, some may wish to argue that the parable, after all, is only hypothetical. That's the way people will come back at you on that. Which, of course, may be argued with respect to all of the parables of Jesus. By hypothetical, it means this is just a case where it's a, it's a guess or it's a, it's a parallel, what it might happen. It never happened, but it might happen. But such argument is without point. Our Lord's parables were given not as entertainment, not as entertainment, but to give solemn spiritual values and teaching, instruction. Whatever else our Lord's uh, parable may teach, it cannot be denied that it clearly teaches that one who is a true disciple of Christ, known of him, entrusted with solemn responsibilities through carelessness and presumption can depart from the path of faithfulness and finally inherit everlasting shame and ruin. And actually, that's the reason we send our children to school. That's the reason we have discipline. That's the reason we have a grading system. We use this in many ways. The thesis here that there are two possible courses open to disciples during the, the Lord's absence is substantiated in Luke the 12 and verse 39. Look at that verse uh, 39 when he said, And this know, that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. He had a choice. He had a choice. It, it is affirmed in the New Testament over and over. Flip over to, to Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and verse 38. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and verse 38. This teaches, now the just shall live by faith. 
Now the just, you know what the just is? The righteous. The just is the righteous. They're the people who are right. Now how the people who are right live? They live by faith, confidence in God, that he is the God, that he's the Lord, that he's the one to be listened to. But if he draw back, who's he? Why, he's the one that, that's adjusts the living by faith. He has a choice of drawing back. My soul shall have no pleasure in him. Now flip over to 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, and verse 27. Paul recognized the fearful responsibility of ultimately finding himself rejected. Should he allow himself to become careless and indulgent towards sin? 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27. He declares his purpose to continually subdue his body which its fleshly appetites is certainly always alive and active and working. He said, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be rejected or be a castaway. I buffet my body daily to bring it in subjection. It's just a challenge. It's, it's just a, Many have contended that Paul's fear was not that he might fail of salvation, but rather that he might find himself disqualified for further service as an apostle, and that he might fail to receive the full reward which faithfulness secures. Well, that's just that's denying uh, on the surface the teaching uh, that he has given us many times, Paul did, of being faithful. Appeal is made to the earlier part of chapter 9 in that first Corinthian letter in the context, especially in verse 16 through 18. But such an appeal ignores the significance of the immediate context. 9, 23 through 10 and 14 in first Corinthians. Paul appeals to the experience of the Israelites in the wilderness in confirmation of his statements concerning himself in 9.26, he compares it to what they did. And as a powerful warning to the Corinthians, he reaches back, he said, look what happened to Israel. He said, it can happen to us. It can happen to us. And who may be tempted to flirt with the adulterous practices of their neighbors. It is a real and it's not imaginary peril. It was real to the people in the Old Testament. It's real to us. And any influence of the immediate context establishes that the fact that Paul's fear was the possibility of losing not opportunities or reward for service, but the salvation of his very soul. And that's, that'll make us be faithful. That'll make us be diligent. It is noteworthy that Paul uses the same adjective here in his warning to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13 and 5 to examine themselves to determine whether they are actually in the faith. 
and indwelt by the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. He declares that Christ does not dwell in any who are edokimoi. Such can be in grace. For it hath not pleased the Son of God, it, it, for he that hath not the Son of God hath not the light. He said, you gotta be on, you gotta be on your toes. You gotta be on faith. You gotta be mindful. He's your partner. He's in you. He lives in you. He gives you strength. He's your life. You can't let that go for one second. Paul's fear that he might become unfaithful and out of harmony with Christ and God was not merely a fear that he might lose some opportunity or some reward for service as an apostle. And as an apostle. In this comment in 1 Corinthians, the, the ninth chapter and verse 27, we need to understand that uh, at the end he has a, a serene confidence in, the, in 2 Timothy 4 and 7. He has run a good race and he's fought a good fight. And he's kept the faith. If it couldn't be kept, he wouldn't have said you could keep it. It is something that just comes to you. It is a humbling thought of us all to see instead of being indifferent and of being unaware of our great responsibility to Jesus Christ that we'll be more faithful, that we'll be more diligent that we'll be responsible servants when we take such thought as this into consideration. And we need to. There are many, many places to where we can turn to and teach the same lesson. I just want you to turn to the 12th chapter of Hebrews. And uh, the Apostle Paul no doubt wrote this uh, uh, Holy Spirit gave it to us, but in the 12th chapter, uh, let's just look at that chapter a minute, and I think it substantiates just what I have given you here, that you've got to stay on course. You've got to be that faithful and wise servant. Uh, I want you to start with the first, but we're going, to, we're going to emphasize down in the chapter what I've been talking that you can miss the mark. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, all that old whole chapter before this 11th chapter just has all the old faithfuls. And every one of them, by faith, they say by faith, has a verb. They walked, they prepared. They obeyed, uh, they served, and uh, they acted. And he says here, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that thus easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. This is his challenge. This is what makes faithful people. Looking, look at the second verse. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. If it was finished, and if it was over and you didn't have to do anything else, he wouldn't have said that he's the author 
and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Then he says, you consider him that he endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. He was faithful to the end. He was that faithful and wise servant. Yet have you not resisted unto blood striving against sin, and ye have forgotten the exhortation that dealeth with you as with sons and as children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Now why would he rebuke you? To keep you on target. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof we have all been made partakers, then are ye illegitimate people, ill bastards, illegitimate. You don't have a father. You've forgotten who your father is. You've forgotten your relationship. And you're really not son. So that becomes an unfaithful person when he does that. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh to correct us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection of the father of spirits and live? And that is be. That's a continuous thing. Be in subjection and live, and that's a continuous thing. The wonderful thing is, is that when we're in faithfulness, we're in subjection of the live Lord. We're in relationship with him, and it's a process that goes on. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers, and that's an ongoing thing, of his holiness. We're partakers of his righteousness. That's the reason we are faithful. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. That is the exercise of faith, active faith. What is it the prophets? The faith that works by love. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. So that shows how we need God when we make mistakes and we lose touch with Him. And then he tells us in the 14th, and this is the faithful and wise servant, follow after peace with all men. And the holiness, that's the status and that's the state that you have with God when you walk by faith. That's that faithful and wise servant, without which no man can see the Lord. And that 14th verse shows the utter condemnation of the man who is not faithful. The Bible teaches it over and over. Looking thither, lest any man, I want you to look at that, fail of the grace of God. Now, you know what that is in the original Greek? It's fall out of. 
The King James Version doesn't translate it that way, but some of the versions do. But it's the actual word, fall out of. So that shows you can fall out of Jesus Christ. You can fall out of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, trouble you. That is the attack, and that's when you're unfaithful. The root of bitterness can enter into us and destroy us, and thereby may be defiled. Why? Why would you be defiled? Because you were clean. But you can be defiled if you don't have the right attitude. And then he went ahead and said, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his brother his birthright. That just shows the unfaithful. It's a choice. And then he goes ahead and says, For you know how that afterwards when we would have in, for he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. For you are come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire. Uh, you are not come to that. The blackness and the darkness and the tempest and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the words which, which uh, entreated the word did not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure it. They could not endure it, which commanded. That's the Old Testament is when they came to him. So terrible was the sight, and he pictures it there. But the 22nd verse is where we'll come to. This is the faithful and wise servant. What do you come to? What would motivate you? Well, you come to Mount Zion. You've come to the city of the living God. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to an unnumbered a host of angels. Who wouldn't be motivated? You've come to the general assembly of the whole family in heaven and earth, his name. You've come to the church, and that in the original language is, the, is, is plural. Firstborn is plural. The church that belongs to the people who are born again. You're born again by believing, turning away from your sins, confessing Christ, and being baptized into Christ. And that's the new birth. According to John 3, Verse 3 and verse 5, unless you be born of the water and the Spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He put it that simple. Another place Paul said, we're all baptized to, by one Spirit into one body. We're added to the church. Which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all. We've come to the spirits of just men made perfect. Now, the righteous shall live by faith. That's just, they just be faithful. They're just faithful to God. But when you come to, look at that 24, when you come to Jesus and you understand you come to Jesus, Jesus is going to help you. He said, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the world. When you're baptized into Jesus, you put him on. And the devil's going to try to get you more than he's ever tried to get you before. Because you belong to Jesus. He's not going to stop. He'd like to have you. And he'd like, to, uh, he'd like for you to be unfaithful. He'd like to come, like all the other parables said, the other parable said that the devil comes and steals out the word out of their mind. They just believe and they are baptized into Christ and they just, they just fall away. 
And Peter said that state was worse than the first. Been better had they never known. Uh, that's, that's difficult to, to imagine for a person to turn away from Christ. Now, your opportunity this evening, if you're not a Christian, it, we wouldn't want to complicate it. And by talking about that you need to be faithful, we don't want to discourage you. Because, you know, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's just as powerful as he was when he performed miracles and healed people. But he's here to help us and to take our hand and lead us through this uh, dark, uh, sin-cursed earth and help us. But his gospel message is to everybody in the whole world is to believe that he's the Son of God, that he was with God in the beginning, and that he came and took on flesh, and that he was born of a virgin that had no sexual intercourse with a man. It was from God. The Holy Spirit caused him to be born. And when the Holy Spirit caused him, the Holy Spirit took his life in heaven and put it in the virgin. And that life, which is part of the Godhead, grew for nine months like anybody else would. And then he was a baby. And the devil would have destroyed him when he was born. But God protected him. And he told people from the very beginning of his 12-year-old work in Jerusalem that he, that he must be about his father's business. And there's a number of days that he didn't uh, uh, teach or say anything until he was 30 years old. And he began to teach people. And the people, the devil tried to kill him right away. Right away. For three years, the devil tried to kill him. And finally killed him and thought that he had destroyed him. But what he did, he just, he, he just relieved him from the flesh. And then he's able to dwell in every flesh. Now, if he couldn't have come and taken uh, on flesh, he couldn't be our savior. But now he is the mediator because he took on flesh. Now the devil is out to get all of his fleshly people. He wants every one of them to be unfaithful. And it's his business to get them to be unfaithful. And he will attack Jesus Christ in the most unsuspected places. But we need to arm ourselves and understand that we'll never leave him and he'll never forsake us. He'll never forsake us. We need not leave him. Now, you can put him on and take him with you tonight if you believe that he's the Son of God and that he came here and that he's still the Son of God and that he fills people's lives who believe in him. But now, the devil won't leave you alone. He'll be after you after you believe in him and put him on in baptism, he'll be after you every day, every moment, with your attitude and with trying to knock love out of your life that we talked about this morning. He'll try to get you to hate. He'll try to get you to, to, to build up in your mind the opposite of love and to have the wisdom that's from below and not the wisdom from above. 
But the way we resist him is to take him by the hand and let him guide us and lead us. Now, do you want to put him on tonight if you haven't been become a Christian? You can. It, it must be from the heart. It must be for him. And he knows. As we stand together, will you come if you're subject to God? Call.